Welcome to the Internet Report, where we uncover what's working and what's breaking on the internet and why. There have been a number of service degradation incidents over the last couple of weeks, uh, one involving Salesforce that was attributed to an issue on their back end involving DNS. There was another where there was a brief spike in packet loss within Cloudflare's network. Um, but we're not going to focus on those today. If you have questions about those or want to know what we saw, feel free to reach out to us. But we're going to focus today on two incidents involving DNS providers. There seems to have been an increase in DNS incidents over the last couple of weeks. Um, in the case of what we're going to deep dive on, one of them is involving a uh, authoritative DNS provider. So this was a Newstar. And the other involved a public recursive resolver service uh, called Quad9. So we're going to uh, go a little bit deeper on those and in particular talk about the service issue involving uh, Newstar's Ultra DNS service. And to do that, we're joined by Kamal. Uh, Kamal is uh, one of our engineers here, and he's going to uh, get into the nitty gritty on all of the interesting details around um, BGP and uh, some of the characteristics of the incident that we saw. So Kamal, welcome. Thank you, Angelique. It's awesome to be back to the internet report. Uh, looks like the internet events are on the roll. So it's awesome to be here again. Looking forward to dive into this one. Awesome. All right. So let's get started with just sharing what we were able to see and sort of walking through some of the um, uh, characteristics of this particular event. So this uh, incident happened on May 6th that started around 1710 UTC, which is uh, 10, 10 a.m. Pacific time, and it lasted for almost four hours. Um, so let's go ahead and, and get that up on the screen and we can start walking through uh, what we were able to see as a result. So what we are looking at here is DNS server test, which is one of the types of the uh, uh, tests that we support within the thousand ties. As you can see here, uh, we had a almost four hour long event uh, that reflected in degraded availability uh, for the uh, tar target that's listed here. And uh, you can clearly see that uh, it was working as it, uh, as it should be, uh, as part of which availability was 100% until uh, we hit uh, the uh, 6th of May uh, 520 UTC, as part of which uh, degradation is clearly visible. Uh, it went until uh, 2040 UTC on the same day. Uh, so it's a very long, prolonged event. Uh, and if we navigate to path visualization, we will see that uh, there is a clear uh, correlation between observed packet loss uh, from various agents that were executing this test as visible on the left-hand side, uh, those green and red circles uh, towards the target itself we see that average loss here uh, amounts to somewhere around 70 uh, to 80%. But if we zoom into this, some of the agents such as Ashburn VA uh, in Charter, you can see that uh, loss was hitting even 100%. Right, so it looks like certain particular locations like Ashburn, and maybe if we take a look at uh, Amsterdam as well, these are uh, locations where there's very dense peering, 
uh, those seem to have been impacted a great deal more than some of some other locations. The, the other interesting thing about this packet loss is that when it starts, it's not, you know, there's a very kind of uh, very dramatic point in uh, spike at, at a particular point in time, right? So we see on the left-hand side, there's some packet loss, and then we see a very you know, significant increase um, here. Um, and what's also interesting about this, if, if we drop down into the BGP route visualization layer, we can see that that corresponds with some path changes for this particular prefix. Uh, that's correct. So uh, if we zoom into the uh, BGP route visualization, uh, we can see how uh, ASNs were changing as part of these path changes. So the metric that we are currently seeing are path changes, and they are uh, closely related, obviously, to updates themselves, right? So updates usually result in path changes. Uh, so um, if we hover over path changes, and at the time when the issue starts uh, at 5.15 UTC on 6th of May, uh, we can clearly see that uh, prefix uh, 156, uh, 154, 153, 0-24 is being advertised to a various new stars essence. Uh, and it's actually quite interesting to see this uh, kind of topology shown up here because it kind of uh, reveals certain um, intra workings of the new start network and how they treat BGP events themselves. Uh, then we can see their uh, big upstream uh, ASN uh, 12,008 uh, advertising prefixes towards the rest of the network. And we can see here uh, clearly that uh, Limelight Networks uh, ASN uh, 22822 is getting into the picture, right? Right. So we're looking at, you know, we effectively have 10 ASs that are advertising the same prefix. So why would that be? I mean, is there any advantage to doing that over just having, you know, this is an Anycast service. Is there any advantage to doing that over just having a single AS advertising? Because Anycast is really designed to, to effectively optimize, uh, you know, or, or give the shortest path to users wherever they're located. So um, why would they be doing this? So if you if you look at this, uh, you will see that all of these ASNs, even though they are different uh, origin, they belong to Newstar itself, right? So they are uh, th those are their own uh, ASNs. So what's happening here uh, likely is uh, that they are trying to control how they do traffic engineering depending on different circumstances. So for it, it's not. Uh, um, Oh, it's not unusual for companies to do so. So I know that certain uh, big um, social network companies do this based on uh, traffic engineering, based on um, utilization, traffic utilization. So they extrapolate information from NetFlow. Uh, they figure out who the top offenders are. And what they tend to do then is that based on the server utilization in the POP itself, such as those that we can see here, so Dallas, uh, Ashford, Los Angeles, and uh, others, um, they tend to move excess traffic from one hub to the other one. And if you look at this here, uh, if we 
zoom over the Amsterdam 2 agent and uh, we click view details of path changes, you can see that something uh, pretty similar to that was happening here. And uh, it's safe to say that this was happening in automatic fashion. So some sort of network automation was at play here. So you can see here that originally this prefix, wa prefix was advertised by the, uh, by the SN uh, 397238. However, um, we can see that within the two minute spam, so from uh, 526.11 UTC to 528.56 UTC, uh, that origin ASN changed multiple times. So yeah, it's, times. Unreasonable. it's kind of unreasonable to expect that this was manual change. Uh, I believe that they were potentially measuring uh, utilization of the POPs or utilization of the transit interfaces uh, uh, towards these hops, and that they were making uh, that the software was making decisions on where to move uh, the traffic based on certain criteria. Right. So it's likely that those path changes were just triggered, um, and and then the, the in some fashion, and then you know we see the path change result. Um, and again, just to drill into, you know, why they would have multiple ASNs, you know, BGP can sometimes be hard to control for in terms of, you know, how you optimize how users connect to your service. And if you have multiple ASNs, you can make more granular changes or changes just for a particular AS without impacting all of the others. So it gives them, um, you know, potentially one of the reasons why they're doing this is to give them more control over BGP. Exactly right. And the thing is, like, uh, we know that uh, tightly controlled uh, ASN pot is something that everyone strives for. So the shorter the ASN pot, the better it gets. So, you know, in, in some sort, uh, this looks like any cost, uh, even though the ASNs are different, but gives them more granularity in how they perform uh, changes and how they control the traffic. Uh, so that seems to be happening here. Right. It's also very symptomatic uh, to see that if you look at the path visualization here, uh, you will observe that loss uh, happens at the same, starts at the same time uh, when obviously uh, we observed uh, uh, DNS availability going down. So DNS availability here is the direct effect of the spike in packet loss and uh, timeline actually uh, matches. And then at the same time, we can see that uh, uh, BGP path visualization had some changes at approximately the same time, which, uh, which means that all of these events are directly uh, related. Right, and if you move forward, we can see that there's this point in time in which there's a very significant um, increase in the number of path changes. And it's a pretty dramatic change. Yes, it looks like uh, at certain time, uh, Newstar uh, flipped over from uh, 12,008 towards the uh, 19905 ASN. Uh, and based on some research that we did offline, it looks like this could be a DDoS uh, scrubbing ASN for the company. Uh, I know that they are providing this service uh, commercially, so this, this could be uh, what's at play here. What's interesting too, in terms of this peering change is that this particular ASN has a different set of peers than the previous ASN that they were using. And this ASN is front-ended by Limelight um, and a couple of other uh, service providers as well, but predominantly most of the routes are going through Limelight. 
Exactly yeah. right. So, so if yeah. we navigate to path visualization to observe how this traffic was going from the source agents on the left hand side towards the uh, prefix on the right hand side, uh, if we click here and uh, we uh, select limelight networks, uh, we will observe the hops uh, that were within the limelight networks. So here uh, we can see that uh, these three particular agents on the left-hand side were sharing uh, uh, this particular hop of which, which is hosted within the limelight network. Right, and this is at a point when though that, that ch big change that they made from a routing standpoint was still getting propagated. But if you move forward just a little bit in the timeline to look at, at the packet loss, we can see that if, you know, if we start looking at the limelight nodes, we see a slightly different um, characteristic to those nodes. So the limelight nodes now, the host names are siteprotect.security.newstar. So it looks like there's, you know, again, some, difference between the um, how traffic was flowing through limelight before they made this routing change versus after and again you know this is simply based on what we've seen in the past in terms of DDoS attacks it looks like maybe this was some mitigation um, uh, kind of activity that they were doing again we don't know what the actual root cause of this incident was um, this DNS provider hasn't issued a statement about it but just based on what we've seen um, in the past, this, this does bear a lot of the characteristics of a DDoS attack. Exactly. And what we can see here on the path is that um, during these initial stages of the change, uh, to your point, Angelique, earlier on, uh, the loss wasn't that uh, uh, express, so to say, but then uh, we can see that agents such as Amsterdam or agents in Ashburn, uh, which are known to be quite big peering locations, started exhibiting uh, very severe bucket loss, uh, up, going up to 98%, which means that even though there was a DDoS at, uh, uh, mitigation or scrubbing into in, in the effect, uh, that the effect that customers uh, uh, could potentially experience themselves during those four hours of event right. itself. And we'll talk a little bit uh, a bit later in the show about what the potential impact of this incident was. Um, but just as a as you know a, a point of comparison, um, we do know that a another DNS provider in this case uh, Quad Nine, which is a public recursive resolver, it's not a, a you know a commercial service. They also reported a incident three days before this event. Um, in their case, they acknowledged that that was due to a DDoS attack. They wrote a, a very um, detailed blog on um, what happened and the, the steps that they're taking to prevent something like that from occurring in the future. If we just take a very quick peek at that, we won't go into, into um, detail on it, but we can see here that the incident started around um, 6, 16, 15, so around uh, uh, 10, 15 a.m. and then went to about uh, 1740. So didn't last as long, it was a, um, not as a, a significant an issue it seems, but you know we can see its impact on availability and we can also see, for example, if we look at the network layer, that correlation to see that really significant uh, spike in packet loss um, across, um, you know, a variety of different uh, provider partners as they uh, 
uh, as traffic made its way to its service. Um, so, you know, we'll put a link to the blog on that in the show notes if you want to check that out. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, you know, a little bit of an overview of these two incidents. You know, we're going to um, talk um, in a moment to uh, someone um, on our team, um, Michael Batchelder, about um, DNS a little bit more and about, you know, the different layers of resilience that are built in and also what potential impact was of the um, New Star DNS incident. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Well, joining us today to talk about DDoS attacks as well as the DNS is our own uh, in-house DNS geek, Michael Batchelder, also affectionately known as Binky. So Binky, welcome. Hi, Angela. Good to be with you. Great. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this incident involving New Star. We talked about the DDoS attack involving Quad9. Now, there's obviously different types of DDoS attacks. So why don't we just talk a little bit about, you know, what those look like and some of the different types of DDoS attacks? Sure. So in a basic DDoS attack, essentially you have two systems. You have your attacking systems and your targets. The attacking systems usually comprise a botnet, which consists of computers distributed globally, and they've been hacked with botnet software, allowing them to be controlled remotely by the attacking party for the purpose of launching attacks on the targets. And the targets are networks or servers of some type, typically critical or high profile services, it might be websites like SaaS apps, uh, Gmail, Office 365, those kinds of things, or they might be infrastructure like networks, CDN providers, or as we're going to discuss, the DNS system itself. Um, but essentially, the, the botnets are going to send traffic directly to the targets, and the denial effect is achieved either through a vulnerability in the target, you know, there's some bug in the software that causes crashes, or you achieve the effect of denial through sheer volume, just throwing right. traffic at, right. at the target. So two, two entities involved at that point. Now, there's also this uh, style of DDoS attack, uh, I believe it's termed application attacks. So what do those involve? Sure. So you can improve your DDoS attack if you're an attacker, by adding this third system called an amplifier. And so now your traffic is from your botnet to your amplifier, and then from the amplifier to the target. And the way it works is through normal or abnormal operation, the amplifier is going to multiply the botnet's traffic. So more and or larger packets, essentially. And we can talk about an amplification factor of that traffic um, in uh, a, a, an amplifier attack. You can see ampli amplification factors of 10x, 100x, maybe even 1,000x if you find a really effective uh, type of amplification attack. 
Mm. So there's also this, this sort of um, subset of uh, amplification DDoS attack called an NSNX attack that's really specific to the DNS. So what is that? Right. So um, sometimes, again, it's just volume of traffic, but sometimes you can find very specific types of attacks that are, that are uh, specific to the type of target being attacked, like a DNS server. So this NSNX attack is one of those. It's a way of using the DNS protocol's own functionality, normal functionality, normal operation, uh, to generate the multiplied attacking traffic. Now, the details of the attack are a bit geeky from the you know, DNS perspective, but what I would encourage people to do who are interested in the details is go to nxnsattack.com and see the details of the attack. This is a website that was uh, created last year when the attack was announced um, by three academic researchers in computer science. Um, we haven't really seen the attack in the wild as far as I'm aware of, right. but uh, if you want to look at the details, this is the place to go to, to understand them. Yeah, and that's more just for uh, folks to kind of, you know, understand the inner workings of that. There's uh, no evidence that that was, you know, in any way involved in either incidents. In fact, uh, Quad9 explicitly talked about um, the, the attack on them, and it, and it wasn't that type of attack. It was, a, it was kind of your, just your garden variety amplification attack. Um, all right, so in, in terms of the DNS, I mean, one of the things that we looked at was just the, in the case of Newstar, their authoritative DNS service itself had some service degradation. Now, that's just authoritative. I mean, users don't directly, you know, you know us, right? Like when we go to sites, for example, like we're not directly interacting with the authoritative uh, servers, we, we will have some resolver that is sort of an intermediary between whether that's local or public resolver between us and the authoritative server. So kind of, you know, walk us through kind of how the DNS works and what potential impact of this, um, these two incidents could have, or actually I would just say the new start incident could have been. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, uh, the way that uh, end users interact with DNS, um, our laptops are configured with a recursive resolver and there are public recursive resolver services like Google DNS people may be familiar with, which is 8.8.8.8, their IP address, and Quad9, which you mentioned, which is 9.9.9.9. Um, so your, your average laptop uh, is configured with one of these DNS uh, public resolvers, let's say, and you send your queries to them, they in turn speak to the authoritative name servers for the domains that need to be resolved. Um, and everybody has you know, authoritative name servers who has a domain. Um, right. So uh, as you mentioned, Quad9 was the subject of a sort of garden variety DDoS attack, they think, where the uh, amplification mechanism. Uh, they have a, a really good blog post at quad9.net, Q-U-A-D number 9.net, and they 
discuss the, the, the details, but they mentioned that they think the amplifier was uh, publicly accessible LDAP servers. And um, uh, so uh, the, the blog post uh, discusses how that was, was used to direct a volume of traffic at quad nine servers. Right. So what about the ultra DNS service? Sure. So ultra DNS provides authoritative DNS. Uh, again, that's something that everyone with the domain has. And what we saw in our thousand eyes uh, data was that uh, a large number of authoritative name servers in ultra DNS of service were impacted uh, by this, this event. Um, and it's possible uh, that this could have been an example of uh, NXNS attack. Maybe it wasn't. But what's interesting is that, um, you know, we see a very broad uh, spectrum of servers, a, a large number of different servers, different domain names, different IP addresses affected in this uh, outage. And NXNS attack is the kind of attack that would allow an attacker to distribute their traffic across a wide swath of uh, authoritative name servers. So maybe a little bit of a you know, question as to what might have happened here. But um, one thing that this does show us in a way is the resilience of the DNS, because even though a wide swath of authoritative name servers were affected, um, we don't see the ultimate service that uh, relies on these servers affected quite so much. Right. So, I mean, we, we do, we have seen it in some instances, but it, it varied. It varied by a number of factors. And if we just use ourselves as an example, so Thousand Eyes Domain is hosted uh, uh, by New Start, as well as by Route 53, AWS's DNS service. So, you know, if we look, for example, at how our, um, you know, just the querying of our A record was impacted, we can see that, you know, for the for the records that were hosted with Ultra DNS, um, we have availability issues. Right. So. Uh, I can show you a share link if you're interested in taking a look at that. All right, so we're looking here at a DNS test, and in this test, we are querying for the NS record of thousandeyes.com. And we can see here that at the same time as the uh, incident with Ultra DNS, as we looked at earlier, we see a dip in availability across the board. Now, we're testing to not just the ultra DNS servers that are hosting our, our record, but also um, AWS DNS as well. So that's one of the reasons why the availability isn't as uh, dip isn't as severe as we saw in an exclusively ultra DNS um, uh, service incident we looked at earlier. So we see that dip in availability. And if we just, for example, look at Ultra DNS, it's a little bit more severe. In the case of AWS, we see 100% availability. So, you know, we were clearly, you know, if we just look purely at this DNS test, it looks like we potentially would have been impacted and 
anybody trying to reach thousandeyes.com could potentially have had an issue. But if we look at a test or effectively what users would have seen from these various locations around the globe, you know, we were not seeing any impact to our service. So we see availability is at 100%. So, you know, that, that's interesting uh, example here because we have two DNS providers, right? And so because of how DNS works, that effectively shielded us from any impact as a result of this incident. Right, so this testifies to the resilience of the DNS actually. Um, despite being architected decades ago, the, the architecture is quite resilient to these types of attacks. So you mentioned a couple different ways in which that resilience is exhibited. For one, DNS records are cached. So the authoritative name servers that contain the thousandeyes.com records, those records are cached throughout the world on recursive name servers caches servers like the Google DNS, Quad9 DNS, you know, a, a corporate uh, name server, uh, an ISP name server, and so forth. But the caching helps the resilience because in the case of the DNS test that you showed where you're uh, requesting our NS records, the records of our name servers, those records typically last uh, days in cache, one or two days in cache, Whereas the DDoS attacks last a matter of maybe an hour or a few hours. Um, so the caching helps the resilience tremendously. And then you mentioned having multiple providers allows you further resilience. So that if one set of providers authoritative DNS servers is impacted, um, you'll see that the other set of servers kind of takes over. And this, is, this happens because the recursive DNS servers that are talking to the authoritative DNS servers, those recursive servers can detect that one set of authoritative servers are per performing poorly and switch to querying only the uh, uh, more active, more capable uh, authoritative name servers. Right, so you know that speaks to, especially since DNS is such a critical um, step in reaching a site that you know you need to architect for resilience. Having two DNS providers is certainly a way to shield yourself from issues. If, for example, one of your providers has an issue, and and we know of course that no provider is immune to issues. AWS uh, Route 53 service, for example, was impacted a few years ago by a BGP hijack. So it doesn't really matter who you are. Um, this this just happens. Like stuff happens. Um, so it's important to kind of think about resilience of your service from a number of different angles, including uh, from a standpoint of DNS. We've, we've seen all manner of DNS providers suffer attacks. There's some very famous ones, uh, the, the DNS, uh, DNS provider Dyn, D-Y-N, was the subject of a very famous attack that subsequently brought down a great many services across the internet. So uh, obviously engineer for resiliency as much as possible. All right, so that concludes our show. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us.
You're very welcome. And if any of our listeners want to discuss the details of any of what we've dis discussed, such as the NXNS attack or how you make your DNS service more resilient, I'm happy to be available. People can reach me at binky at thousandnines.com. Great. Uh, and also, if any uh, listeners have any um, general questions about the show or want to suggest topics for the future, you can reach us at internetreport at thousandeyes.com. And we also have a free t-shirt if you subscribe to the show. So go ahead and do that and send us your address and your t-shirt size, uh, and we'll be sure to get that over to you. So until next time. <laughs>